to My Favorite Theorem, a math podcast with no quiz at the end. I'm Evelyn Lamb, one of your hosts. I'm a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah, and this is your other host. Hi, I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida. How you doing, Evelyn? I'm doing okay. I was trying to think of something interesting to talk to you about at the beginning of this, and life isn't very interesting, but in a good way, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, monotony is, is underrated isn't it? Yeah. We just had our 29th wedding anniversary on Sunday. So we- Congratulations. Thank you. That's our big news. We went out and sat at a restaurant for the first time in nearly a year. So Excellent. We were very I excited. hope that, you know, this podcast is going to go on for decades and decades and someone is going to be catching up on old episodes, mm -hmm. you know, in 15 years and say, why do they keep talking about all these very boring things that they're doing for the first time in a year? So- <laughs> I, that'll be great. Yep. You know, last time it was haircuts, this time it's restaurants. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But right. um, whether whether they are, they know why we are saying that or not, they will be very excited that we are talking today to Reka Thomas. And Reka, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, thanks for having me on the show. Um, so I am a professor of math at the University of Washington in Seattle. And I come originally from optimization. My PhD is actually in operations research, mm. but I have worked in a math department ever since I graduated. And I, my work lies somewhere at the intersection of optimization, applied algebraic geometry, and combinatorics. Um, and I very much like problems that have an applied um, background or a motivation. Um, and not necessarily because I work in applied things, but because I very much like the problem to be motivated by something real. Mm -hmm. And um, in the last 10 years or so, I've been working quite a bit in the mathematics behind on questions that come from computer vision. Mm. And this has been especially fun. But optimization in general does have that applied side to it. So right. um, I, I like problems like that. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I talk to, to my colleagues over in industrial and systems engineering where they do a lot of that work all the time. And I think, you know, you guys are basically mathematicians. Why don't you come over here? It's a lot heavy overlap there. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Well, and I I just want to say um, how we came to invite Reka onto the podcast yes. because I think it's, uh, it's a good story. pretty cool. So one of her students, um, sent in a uh, an email to our little submission form on Kevin's website uh, saying that he thought that um, his linear algebra teacher was great and would be a great uh, a great guest for my favorite theorem and this is especially remarkable because this is in this semester where all teaching has been online and stuff and I just think to be connecting with students enough when you're doing zoom teaching that they actually reach out to a podcast to get you as a guest on a podcast it just you must have really made an impression so <laughs> I, I think that's very cool Thank you. I was I was very honored by that piece of news. I thought, okay, we finally made contact. That was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but especially for an undergraduate to take that initiative to write to you was very touching. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, not to build things up too much, but I'm sure that this is going to be a great episode. Yeah. So uh, with that introduction done, what is your favorite theorem? Yeah, so I announced my favorite theorem in that class and told them about your podcast. So when you invited me, I thought, 
oops, is that really my favorite theorem? (laughs) (laughs) Is that what I really want to speak about? And I think yes. So I'm going to stick with that theorem. And this is a theorem from linear algebra. It was a linear algebra class. And I think it's one that's not very well known to pure mathematicians. So it goes by the name of Eckhart-Young theorem or the Eckhart-Young-Mirsky theorem. But apparently the history is more complicated. I've been reading about this, so I can tell you about it if if we get to that. Um, So the theorem basically says the following. So if you have a matrix, say a real matrix of size m by n, and we know its singular value decomposition, which is a very special decomposition of the matrix as a sum of rank one matrices, then the closest rank k matrix to the given matrix is just made up of summing the first k rank ones in that decomposition. Mm. So if I wanted the closest rank one matrix, I just take the first rank one in the singular value decomposition of A. If I wanted the rank closest rank two matrix, I take the first plus the second rank one matrix matrices in the singular value decomposition and so on. Okay. So there is this neatly arranged set of rank one matrices that add up to give you A. And if you truncate that sum anywhere at the kth spot, you get precisely the closest rank K matrix to the given matrix. This is the theorem. Closest in what sense? What's the metric? Yeah, so that's a very good question. So closest in either Frobenius norm or spectral norm. So these are standard norms on matrices. Frobenius norm is just, you think of your matrix as a long vector where you just take every entry, every row, let's say, and concatenate it to make, make a long vector, mm-hmm. and then take the usual Euclidean norm. Okay. So sum of Aij square, square mm-hmm. root. Mm-hmm. Um, spectral norm is the largest singular value. So okay. it is the biggest stretch that the matrix can make on a unit vector. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in either norm, this works. Um, That's pretty yeah. remarkable. Yeah, and so just doing a little bit of mathematical free association, um, is this, can this in any way be thought of as like a Taylor theorem? Mm. Like, so you're, you know, you're kind of saying like, okay, if you want your approximation to be this good, you go out this far. If you want it to be this good, you go out this far. Maybe that's, I don't, I don't know if that's a good uh, analogy. No, I think it is. So I think there are many constructs in mathematics like this, right? Like Fourier series is another one Mm -hmm. where you have a breakdown into pieces and then you take whichever part you want. Taylor series is similar. Um, The SVD is special in the sense that the breakdown, this breakdown into rank one matrices is actually tailored to the matrix itself. Like, for Mm. example, as opposed to, say, in Fourier series, where the the basic functions that we are trying to write the function as a combination of, they are fixed, right? It is mm-hmm. always cosine theta plus i sine theta or cosine n theta plus i sine n theta. Mm-hmm. So it's not particularly tailored to the function. It's just a fixed set of bases and you're trying to write any function as a combination of those basis functions. Mm-hmm. But in the SVD, the, the, the basis that you construct the, the factorization that you get is tailored to the actual data that's sitting inside the matrix. So it's very, very nice and is incredibly powerful. Hmm. So that's, it's similar and yet I think slightly different. Right, in other okay. words, yeah, yeah that, that's a good explanation because yeah, yeah, as you say with Taylor series, you're, you're choosing a basis for a subspace of the space of all smooth functions or whatever. Whereas, right. whereas here you, you're taking a particular 
matrix. Does it matter what? So if you if you change the basis of your vector space, do you get a different SVD? No. So what yeah. the SVD is, yeah, so it's right. a very nice geometric way to think of the SVD, which maybe answers that question better. Mm -hmm. So the SVD is sort of a reflection of how the matrix works as an operator. Mm. So what it's telling you is if you take the unit sphere in the domain, so let's say we have an M by N matrix, so the domain is Rn, mm -hmm. take the unit sphere, under the map A, the sphere goes to an ellipsoid. Right. So in general, a hyperellipsoid, mm -hmm. right? And this ellipsoid has semi-axes. The singular values are the lengths of those semi-axes. Oh, okay. So it tells you, uh, yeah, the lengths of the semi-axes. And the unit vectors and the directions of those semi-axes are one set of basis vectors. So that's one set of singular vectors. Mm -hmm. And the pre-images in the domain are the other set of singular vectors. So if you're willing to change basis to the special mm -hmm. uh, bases, one in the domain, one in the codomain, mm -hmm. then your matrix essentially behaves just by as, as, as a diagonal matrix. It just scales coordinates by these singular values. Okay. So it's a generalization of diagonalization in some ways, but mm -hmm. one that works for any matrix. You don't need any special condition. So the, they're very canonical bases that is tailored to the action of the matrix. I, I'm learning a lot today. So I have to say, so before we, we started recording, I was mentioning that I think students need to take more linear algebra, but the truth is I need to take more linear algebra. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I think we all do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I am really uh, realizing how long it's been since I thought seriously about linear algebra. So this is fun. And it goes really well with our episode from a few months ago, mm -hmm. um, where I believe that was Ty Danae Bradley yes. who chose um, singular value decomposition as her favorite theorem. So mm -hmm. we've got, you know, a little chaser that you can have after this episode mm -hmm. if you want to catch up on that. Right. So Reka, you said that um, there was a bit of a complicated history with this mm -hmm. uh, theorem. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So I always knew this theorem as the Eckhart-Young theorem. I only recently learned that it had Mirsky attached to it. Mm. Um, but then in sort of trying to prepare for this podcast, I started looking at some of the history of the singular value decomposition. And there's mm. a very nice uh, Siam Review article by Stewart written in 1993 about the history of the singular value decomposition. Mm. And according to him, singular value decomposition should be attributed, or the first version of it is due to Beltrami and Jordan mm. from 1873. So the Eckhart-Young theorem is from 1936, so almost 60 years before. Mm -hmm. And they were looking at more special cases. They were looking at square real matrices that are um, non-singular, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, people were interested in that special case. Then there were several other people like Sylvester worked on it, uh, uh, Schmid from Gram Schmid, mm -hmm. he worked on it, uh, Hermann Weil worked on it. So up until like from 1873 to 1912, this went on. And this article says that singular, this approximation theorem that I mentioned, the Eckhart-Young theorem, is really due to Schmidt from mm -hmm. Gram Schmidt fame. Mm -hmm. And he was interested not so much in matrices, but he was studying integral equations. 
where mm. you have both symmetric and asymmetric kernels, non-symmetric kernels. Mm -hmm. And he wrote down this approximation theorem. So, the, so really, the, Stuart claims that, that this theorem should actually be attributed to Smith. And then in 1936, Eckhart and Young actually wrote down the SVD for general rectangular matrices. So mm -hmm. that is in their paper for sure. Mm -hmm. And they seem to have rediscovered this approximation theorem. Mm. So that is my understanding of the history of uh, how it is. But I did not know this till two days ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm not really a you know, bona fide historian in any way. So, um, mm. But this is what I've understood. It's an interesting Yeah, that sounds like story. an interesting article. Um, I mean, I guess in the history of math, there are a, an uncountable number of places where finding, you know, unraveling back to where that first idea, you know, mm -hmm. the idea first appeared is uh, more complicated than you think. Right. Um, right. And, yeah. and also this sort of gets at, uh, you know, your, your, your interests more generally, how you like things to be sort of ha come from an actual application. Well, if this really came from integral equations, yes. right? That's right. really an application. So it's, 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 Absolutely. Work, it's working on lots of levels for you. That's right. So he, of course, did this in, this, in infinite dimensional vector spaces. Mm -hmm. And the approximation will allow you to approximate an operator as mm -hmm. opposed to a matrix, right? So, sure. And apparently that really elevated this whole theory from just a theoretical tool to something that's actually widely used um, that became much more of a practical tool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I guess in modern day, in modern day, the SVD and sort of versions of the SVD in, exists in all kinds of mathematical sciences. Um, so in signal processing, in uh, fluid dynamics, all sorts of places. So it's in some sense one of our biggest exports from mm -hmm. the math world. Mm -hmm. And yet we don't quite teach it normally to math people. Um, so, yeah. Right. So, so, so was this like a love at first sight theorem? Was this the sort of thing that, that comes up, that came up a lot in your work and that's why you're now so enamored? Um, so I did learn of it first in the process of writing a paper. Mm. Um, I did not know about this theorem before, but maybe about 10 years ago. But I think this theorem sort of perfectly fits me, which is why I love this theorem. Um, <laughs> So for different reasons, right? So first of all, it's an optimization problem. It's about minimizing distance from mm -hmm. a matrix to the set of rank whatever matrices. So it's right. an optimization problem. Right. The space that you're trying to minimize to, which is the space of rank at most k matrices, that is an algebraic variety. So mm -hmm. it can be written as the set of solutions to polynomial equations. So there's the applied algebraic geometry side, or at least the algebraic mm -hmm. geometry side. And it's not a, a very simple variety. It's actually a complicated variety. So it's an interesting one. And lastly, this problem is sort of a prototypical problem in many, many applications. So a lot of statistical estimation problems are of this flavor. You have, an, you have a model, which let's say is our rank K variety. So the rank being some measure of complexity. And then you have an observation that you have in the field with instruments, and it tends to be noisy, so it's not on the model. So that's your observed matrix, mm -hmm. and now you're trying to find the maximum likelihood estimate or the, the closest true object that fits your observation. 
So this is a, a very standard problem that comes up in, up in many, many applications. So that's, so in some sense, I feel it's, it really lives at this intersection of optimization, algebraic geometry and applications, which is sort of what I do. That's you. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's one reason that I think this theorem is so cool. And mm. the other thing is, I think it's a very rare instance of an optimization problem where the object, the observed matrix, knows the answer in its DNA. It doesn't need to know the, the landscape that it's trying to get to, right? Which is mm. your space of uh, matrices of rank at most k. It doesn't need to know anything about that variety. Just inside its own DNA, it has this SVD. And from the SVD, it knows exactly where to go. So this is un completely unusual in an optimization mm -hmm. problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like even if you're minimizing, say, a univariate function over a, the interval 0, 1, I really need to know the interval 0, 1 to figure out what the minimum value is. The function doesn't know it. Mm -hmm. But this is, I think, a, kind of a gem in that sense. You don't need to know the constraint set. And then lastly, it appears all over the place in applications. So in things like image compression, you know, the Netflix problem is sort of a version mm -hmm. of this. Mm -hmm. uh, distance realization, you know, things like that you that would come up in areas like molecular modeling or protein folding and so on. It's right. all many of these problems can be thought of as low rank approximations to a given matrix. So very cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm now I'm thinking about that variety. It's not a Grassmannian, but it's sort of like, is it stratified by Grassmannians? Let's not go down this path. I mean, it's just yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a set of solutions to the mm -hmm. equations that you get by setting setting all the rank whatever mm -hmm. minus to zero. Yeah, right, right. Right. So the matrix cannot be rank more than k. So mm -hmm. you set all the mm -hmm. uh, k plus one by k plus one minus to zero. That's so complicated. Yeah. Yeah, it's a complicated variety with yeah. singularities and right. so on. Right. Okay. So another thing we like to do on this podcast is ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. So what pairs well with uh, with this theorem? So I thought about this. This to me was a very interesting challenge that you posed. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, so one thing that I always think about when I teach this theorem or teach the SVD in general is there is sort of a like a layer cake analogy. Okay, so mm. I, I, I have always drawn this layer cake picture in my class, but when I started thinking about what I should tell you on the podcast, I thought, okay, it's not quite a layer cake like you would buy in a, in a store, <laughs> but it's sort of like a layer cake. So there is a layer cake analogy going on here. And that is simply, we can think of a matrix. So if, if you have, say, an M by N matrix, let's start by just think of, thinking of it as a, you know, a rectangular uh, chessboard mm -hmm. lying on the floor. And then every entry in the matrix is creating, let's say, a building on, that, on each square. So you have, you know, the buildings have different heights depending on um, the, the entry there. And then in that sense, what we're doing is, if you think of what a rank one matrix is in this, in, this, um, in this picture that I'm trying to draw, then what it is would be this sort of city block with skyscrapers that we've constructed, where when you look from East Avenue or West Avenue, you see one skyline, and then you see like 
various up and down versions of the same skyline、mm. as you look across. And then similarly, if you stand on North Avenue or South Avenue, you see one skyline, and then you see these up and down versions of that skyline、mm. as you go in in the other direction. So that's a rank one matrix, and then the whole matrix is built of these puzzle pieces. If you like, they're、mm-hmm. all rank one matrices, and what we're doing is sort of take you know take different puzzle pieces. You know, the first puzzle piece captures the most amount of energy in the matrix. Then the second,、mm-hmm. first and second, the next amount, and so on.、Mm-hmm. So that's sort of one geometric thing, and so thinking of a pairing. So. So that's 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 just geometric, not not exactly a pairing, but in my mind, the way another way to think about the whole thing is you you could think of your matrices as say living in a universe. We have this m by n universe, and then each of these landscapes, these you know matrices of rank at most k, they form landscapes inside this universe. They're nested one inside the other, and. You could almost think of your matrix as sort of a flying object, and if it needs to make an emergency landing on one of these landscapes, it knows exactly where to land. <laughs> it doesn't need any, you know, radio control from the ground, right? There's no air traffic control on the ground who needs to tell this matrix where to land. <laughs> so that's sort of my geometric vision of what is happening. I love、mm-hmm. geometry, so、sure. this is I always try to make pictures like this. But the closest physical phenomenon that I was thinking that maybe we could match with this is with the way migratory birds work, right?、Mm. Like these migratory birds, they have sort of a inherent genetic、mm-hmm. compass in their head that tells you where they should land. So, Florida being one of the big、yes. places,、yeah. and that's exactly before they fly over the Gulf, right?、Mm-hmm. Where there's、mm-hmm. a long stretch of water, so they know exactly where the end of the land is or where the beginning of the land is、mm-hmm. when they fly in the other direction.、Mm-hmm. So I I think there's some amount of this sort of DNA information that's in their head. So there's either genetic information. They, of course, they also use celestial,、um, you know, signals like the sun、right. and the stars and so on. Right. But yeah, so that that. That to me was the best pairing I could come up with. This thinking of matrices as having this inbuilt computer inside them. Oh yeah, I a, love that. I do too. Yeah. I, as an avid bird watcher, I'm I'm really I'm, I'm into this pairing a lot. So this this is really this is really nice.、Um, yeah, and and luckily for the matrices, it doesn't get messed up. You know, I mean, I I get various. I subscribe to Audubon and things like that. And I, I just read an article recently about. How light pollution is really a problem for migratory birds. Especially, you know, they, they fly over New York City. You think they're not there, but they are. I mean, and, and you can catch it on radar data and all of that. And and it's really become a problem for them. And especially with climate change, they're they're getting messed up and all these things too. So,、um, not not to get off into bird watching, but th- this is、uh, this is a really excellent pairing. I love it. Yeah. Well, I know Kevin is.、Uh, Quite the bird watcher.、Um, I have only recently been、uh, getting a little more into it, and so I will think about flying matrices the next time I、um, <laughs> go and look at some birds. Recently discovered a new、um, 
bird watching place not too far away from where we live and there have been some great blue herons nesting there they're probably leaving soon but mm. they were there for the spring and so that was cool as a very beginning bird watcher to sudden like have your first serious like i'm going to watch birds at this place have these like nesting great blue herons at them it really raises the bar for subsequent birding outings mm -hmm. They're impressive birds too. I mean, I've I've seen them. We have lots of them here, of course. I mean, they're walking around campus sometimes. But um, yeah, like they'll 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 catch a like a big fish, just swallow it whole, and uh, yeah. it's it's really pretty remarkable. So yeah. Yes. All right. Well, Reka. Uh, so we always like to give our our guests a chance to um, to plug anything they're working on. Where can we find you online? Uh so I have a basically just my web page. I'm not mm -hmm. a social media person at all. So, oh, good for um, you. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, that's basically where you can find me. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Yes. Well, you're, you're, you're part of a wonderful department. I've, I've visited there several times. And it's, oh, uh, okay. You know, I, I, uh, great department, great city. And um, so we'll be sure to link to, to, your, to your homepage. Um, yeah. Anyway, thanks for joining us. This is really, I learned a lot today. This is really, this is, this has been great. Yeah, and Thank can I much. just, I don't do a little bit of tooting our own horn with saying that I love this podcast because we get to do things like now every time I, I decompose these matrices, I'm going to think about migratory birds and, you know, it's just like <laughs> building all these little connections. So I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks Great. for joining us. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lee. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Nguyen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at Nivik That's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards. And Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics. <laughs>